check, double check. Hello. Hello, young people. This is Ross Johnson, a.k.a. Cuddles the Pool Clown, a.k.a. Righteous uh, Reverend Rossi, a.k.a. Uh, Rockin' Peppa, wishing you the best doggone happiest, finest, I mean, really swingin' uh, Goner Fest 10. I'll be there performing Ill- semi-legal marriages and trying to talk you out of whatever you're doing. Remember, this place is cursed, and I can show you how it goes. Noise, noise, noise. Our intro here. Yeah. Welcome to. I'm back in Tennessee. I gotta play all my I'm back in Tennessee songs. This was called Tennessee by Mr. Carl Perkins. Welcome to Sonosphere, the podcast that explores the sounds all around us in art and music movements through history. We're your hosts, I'm Amy. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking with Zach Ives, co-founder and co-owner of Goner Records. We'll also hear from Natalie Hoffman of Knots, Chris Shaw of Xcult, and J.B. Harrell of Xcult and Aquarium Blood to bring you a Goner Fest 2016 special edition of Sonosphere. We'll hear Knots, Xcult, and Aquarium Blood's first experience with Goner Records the label and the fest, and we'll hear some history about the creation of the Goner label. Goner Records is an independent record label and record store, and it's co-owned by Eric Friedel and Zach Ives, and the label was actually started in 1993 by Eric Friedel. Then the store pretty much opened in 2004 when Eric met his business partner, Zach Ives. Today we talk with Zach Ives, and he's going to tell us a little more about the history of the label and the store. Yeah, I'm Zach Ives. I am uh, co-owner at Connor Records, uh, the, it's a shop and label, uh, and then we do a festival as well, all in Memphis, Tennessee. Eric and I had already kind of been talking about trying to figure out something to do, and he was doing the label, but uh, and, and kind of a little bit of mail order, and had the web uh, the website up, and the Connor board was kind of uh, active and. But it was before there were boards, really, and you know he was just adding content because you know he was working at Towery, where he was on a computer all the time, and he'd just find weird images and put them up on the website. And it was before there was the idea that you know content was something that you really needed and wanted, and people just realized there was something changing on one website every every day. We spoke with J.B. Harrell from Xcult and Aquarian Blood on his first experience with Goner Records. When Eric started putting out records in the '90s and seeing the Oblivions, and I worked with Jay when they started putting out his stuff when he was still fairly young, um, and then just watched it kind of grow from there, and then I used to shop at Legba, which is what Goner is now, when Greg Cartwright owned it, and then they took over, so then I could actually walk in and buy records from him there. When I got there, we just kind of kicked around a few different ideas, and, um, uh, and then Greg Cartwright um, decided he was going to move to Asheville um, with his family, and uh, he had a record store called Legba that had been in the same location that Goner was um, for the three years prior. So 
he was moving out, it seemed like a good opportunity for us to kind of move in and then have that be the anchor of whatever else we were going to do. We also heard from Chris Shaw of Xcult. I remember driving by Donner and just like, I don't know, I don't think I even like went in there the first time I saw it. I think after like knowing that it was there for a while, I finally went in there. And then the first time I went in there, I bought like records that I still have to this day. So I'd say after the first visit, I was hooked. It was a tough time to open a record store because record stores were kind of closing left and right everywhere else. Uh, but we figured if we did that, we also did the label, and we had this kind of online component of the store that maybe between the three of them, it could almost be a viable business. Where did the name Goner Records come from? Uh, Eric kind of came up with that. I mean, it's a line in a, um, it's in a Ramon song. Um, hang on a little bit longer. Hang on, you're a goner. And I think that's the one that I think about all the time. But, you know, I mean, I, I kind of like the idea. It's just like somebody that's kind of out of step with everything else. He had already developed enough of a name. I mean, you know, the records that he was putting out at that time were more records that nobody else would put out. He'd listen to something and be like, man, uh, nobody's going to do this unless I do it. cobble together with a little money and, and do a 7-inch, and they're some of my favorite records. Um, he did the first Jay Retard record, first Retard's record, when Jay was just playing buckets in his room and recording it all on a four-track. band called Gasoline from Japan, it was uh, it's Let's Go Harley single. He did a Royal Pendleton's record that Alex Chilton recorded, and the first Guitar Wolf LP was the first thing he did, and that was also just kind of this funny little happenstance that he had seen them play at Garage Shock and it was the most, you know, crazy, over-the-top and inept thing he had ever seen. <laughs> and it was like, man, this is amazing. And they talked to him and they sent him over some recordings, but like the missing Japanese and English communication thing, they thought he was doing a 7-inch and he was like, this is insane, I gotta put it all out. And so he did this LP and uh, they didn't realize it was gonna be an LP until Seiji picked up 200 copies of an LP instead of a 7-inch in, in Tokyo. Eric was always pretty single-minded with what he wanted to do, and I think people gravitated towards that. I was already like a, a regular to the store, and I kind of developed a friendship with John, who's the store manager, and uh, Eric and Zach. Uh, co-owners so by the time Vinyl Nation rolled around I was buying records from them like weekly we were definitely buds we used to hang up show flyers in their windows that no one would go to I think community is super important to everything that we've done but we almost have two communities it's, there's a Memphis community that we do shows at and I can't tell you how many shows I went and saw where Eric had some Japanese band here and there were six people there to see it but it, you know totally formulated how I looked at shows moving forward. But by that time, Jay had made his imprint and Jeff Evans had made his imprint and the Oblivions had made an imprint and so there was already something kind of moving forward in Memphis in the era that we were moving in. And I think we've been able to see that kind of move forward in the 10 or 12 years that we've been doing, 12 or 13 years that we've been doing this. <laughs> but I think starting out, it was, it was a tight, close-knit group, but it was smaller and we were more dependent on kind of this international niche group that was on our board uh, and talking on a regular basis that where there were real personas and people talking about, you know, idiotic stuff. And, you know, I think that there was a real community there that was outside of Memphis and then there was one inside of Memphis, but both of them were really important. Always wanting more! 
We also heard from Zach talking about his experience recording and working with X-Cult Knots, NJB, and Laurel back when they were moving finger. First time moving finger did shows and I mean I remember coming back into the shop and I think Eric saw him first he was like Laura was insane on drums man is you know it's like yeah. we just geeked out my wife and I started playing together she can play drums um, it started out as just a recording project Xcult was on tour in San Diego and a buddy of mine there was like dude I heard this aquarium blood thing it's a Memphis band is it do you know who they are and I was like yeah that's <laughs> our band I was like man that's pretty cool they got it on WFMU and so we talked to the dudes at Garner and I guess I took some tapes up there to see if they could sell them because we got some of the tapes when they made them, when Zap made them. And they started selling them in the store and they were selling pretty good. So we did a single for Record Store Day last year in 2015. And then, you know, it just went from there. It's people that we know, but then they go in and they do this thing that you get real excited about. and. It was really fun to try and figure out ways to get X-Colt uh, you know, into a place where they could do what they wanted to do. They wanted to go and record with Ty in California and figure out a way to get them out and do it. We played a show with uh, with them. It was the Garner Showcase at South by Southwest the first year that we went. And I think Ty was there because he was playing, backing up Michael Cronin, I think is what was going on. I remember White Fence played also, some other bands. But yeah, he and Chris were friends already, so I think that probably definitely alerted him to what we were doing anyway. But he saw it and he offered to produce the record, which was cool. They were the first record label to uh, offer to help X called out, so in that regard, they were completely instrumental in helping Xbox get off the ground and like help us gain a local fan base and then in turn like a national one. So they're like basically the, the starting point for Xcult. I mean they were there like since day one. So in that sense they were like extremely important. And when Natalie kind of, you know, not started this kind of a side project, but when it became her main thing, it was absolutely as exciting as, as watching X-Cult. I love watching people like that grow and, and when it's somebody that you're close with and friends with, it's just, it's that much better. It doesn't mean that I don't love talking about Ty or talking about Os Mutants or Eddie Current's Expression Ring or, you know, any of these bands from all over the place, but when, I mean, these, these are actual Memphis bands and you've watched them kind of grow up and, and to be able to be a flag bearer for talent here in Memphis is, is really great. I'm Natalie Hoffman, I play in the band Knots. So Goner saw us playing in multiple bands, and then when Not started playing a lot, Zach and Eric were both at the shows pretty often, and Zach came up to me after some show at the Buccaneer that was like especially rowdy, and I wanted to know what we were up to, and then I brought him a demo CD of like all of our recordings at the time, which was only like five songs. <laughs> 
and they decided to release all of them as an EP. So they put out our first single, and our friend Keith Cooper recorded it on this like <laughs> insanely like haunted sounding reel-to-reel tape machine. <laughs> So it has a really, really particular flavor, and uh, Goner liked it and put it out. And then after that, they put out uh, another single for us, and then Zach and Eric asked me about doing a full-length record with them. The first full-length from Goner came out in 2014. You know, there's something magical about capturing a moment on a record. Um, that That's why it's hard to do, because... You're trying to capture a moment, and that that's all a live show is. It's like it's going to happen this one time, and it's only going to happen this one time this way. And so I think Andrea Lyle told me this one time when I was still in college. I went into Shangri-La, and she was talking about some show. I, mean, I think it was a Royal Pendleton show or something, but she was she was like, uh, you know, she was like, what are you going to do tonight? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to go see a movie or something. She was like, you should go and see this show. You know, that movie is going to play tomorrow. It's going to be exactly the same as it was tonight. But this show is going to happen one time and one time only. Goner has always, they, they come see you play the show. And if they like it, they might talk to you about putting out a record. They're very, like, cut. They don't have a weird industry music sort of approach to things you yeah. know they don't have a like this will sell because yeah. <laughs> <Yes. and Z. laughs> right, they're right. more their approach is very like we like it so maybe you'll like mm-hmm. it <laughs> i mean it's just kind of how we look at everything we're fans first and when something can come through memphis it's super exciting who uh, let me see a show of hands uh who saw the sun come up today for all the wrong reasons i'm not raising my hand i'm a fucking drug addict all right, next up, Eddie Curran Suppression Ring from all the way from Australia. Let's give a hand for them. A little one right now, then we'll give a bigger one in a second. Oh, boo. Boo. Boo, Jeff Gunn, boo. We're going to talk here again with Zach about the first Goner Fest in 2004 and how it all began. Yeah, well, we had just put out this record with um, King Con and Barbecue Show, this record that was kind of a side project for two guys that we liked their other projects. And it, this record had kicked around for, we knew that these recordings were kind of kicking around, but nobody had picked them up. And we really loved them. It was this kind of stripped down 50s and 60s kind of sounding stuff. So, you know, we were like, yeah, sure, we'll do this record. And they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do, we'll, we'll do a few dates, you know. And so we were like, okay, well, if they're going to come to town, we got to make a big deal out of it. And so we called Black Lips, and we called some friends in Atlanta, and uh, maybe a, a couple of bands in New Orleans. I don't know, it was all kind of regional stuff, but um, everybody said yes. Everybody wanted to come. So all of a sudden we had a handful of bands that were going to play two nights and, and we set it up at the Buccaneer because we really didn't know if anybody was going to show up. So the show was set, made a poster, thought we had everybody in uh, and agreeing to come but we still didn't know if anybody was going to come. We didn't sell advance tickets or anything and then I think the day before we saw a um, an Italian kind of record guy that you know presses these 300 pressing versions of, of singles with different covers that become instant collector's items. And that guy was walking down the street and we're like, uh, I guess people have come. <laughs> like I came from Italy, I yeah, think, right? for this yeah. show, so. <laughs> I mean, our 
people are like rabid music fans. So I mean, they're they're going to come and they're and they love Memphis. Like they're just going to come and engulf the city and do as much as they can. Gongfest brings bands from Europe, New Zealand, Australia. Basically, like a yearly opportunity to showcase Memphis bands, but also to showcase the label and a bunch of bands that might not have the opportunity to come to the United States otherwise. Well, I know that a lot of bands base their tours around the opportunity to play the festival. It's really cool that uh, that goes down in Memphis. I mean, you know, people would people would travel anywhere to see that type of shit. So it's really cool that that our city is able to host something like that and have a label that can bring bands from all the way. Places like New Zealand and Australia and shit like that. I mean, you know, bands like that wouldn't cross the fucking globe to play something that wasn't legit. And, I mean, as a Memphian, as a local person, I mean, you can't ask for anything better in terms of, like, an underground festival. I mean, all that shit's going down right in your backyard. All these venues are, like, within a couple miles of each other. So, rad. Yeah, I think that I agree with Chris. It's It works two ways, kind of. It gives local people an opportunity to see bands that are from around the world, but in one spot in their backyard. But it also gives local bands a chance to play for an international crowd that they otherwise wouldn't get to without touring to all those places. So it's pretty awesome in that respect. Is there anyone in the audience who's not in a band? Three people. Gonna love her in my Chevy van. And it's still like a marathon. It's just a marathon, even even trying to be um, responsible. Like you know, I don't know. I yeah, I, I yeah, I still remember like the first the fir first Goner Fest that we did. I remember being in the car with Eric trying to count money and uh, like keep recounting and not being able to even count, not being able to talk to each other. <laughs> Thank it was com yeah, completely. Com you know, we've grown a little bit more responsible over the years, but. Um, not that responsible. <laughs> I don't think it would work at any other place. I think for all the reasons that I told you I like live music, it, it would never be something that we could go out and do it in a big field, um, you know, with a big stage or something. It's yeah. got to happen inside a room and you got to be next to all of these other people. And well, it's intimate. It gives it yeah. that sort of more the intimate intimacy feeling. Uh -huh. become is, is kind of everything. I don't know what year this was, probably in the middle there somewhere. Um, we came back from, a, we do like this regular lunch meeting just to kind of get our week straight. Uh, and we got back from our lunch meeting, came up to the shop and there were two Japanese guys in all of their clothes and, uh, and gear all sitting in front of the shop. And, uh, and we're like, uh, hey guys, what's going on? And uh, they're like, we read sneakers. Um, we're here to play Gonerfest. And we were like, uh, wow, I wish you would let us know. I mean, I'm glad you guys came this far. Uh, and, you know, but we, and we didn't have any slots. They were super sweet kids, uh, crazy, you know, two-piece. Mm -hmm. They wound up picking up shows all the way through the week, like just jumping on bills with different people and playing all over Midtown. And, uh, I mean, became, like, friendly with, like, lots of people. And then, uh, and then the day of, like Saturday at the Buccaneer, 
we got a call, and I think it was I think it was Jay. I think Jay canceled his set. Maybe wrong, but I think it was Jay, and he had, like he had a slot. He was supposed to be playing, and was sick, couldn't couldn't come. Uh, just a little typical Jay. I mean, it, it, that didn't surprise Eric or I uh, all that much, but. Um, but it was the perfect time to be able to do that because we had this Japanese band that had actually come in and it was complete kismet. And, uh, you know, we got in touch with the guys and they came and played and they were like the bell of the ball. Everybody was going nuts about this Japanese band that completely, you know, slotted in and played. Hey, everybody. Has everybody been enjoying Goner Fest so far? Because these ladies are about to take it to the next level all the way from Boston, and their first show in a long time, Mr. Airplane Man. I think the first Garner Fest I went to was Garner Fest 3. You know, I, I attended a lot of those and like we're friends or like was friends with people who got to put out records on Garner like way before I did so I think probably the first one that we played was pretty cool you know it's pretty like I don't know it's a cool experience to be like damn after attending these things for like the last like four or five years like I get to play my first one that was cool I definitely like remember that feeling and just like releasing our first records on that label in general was cool to me I've always worked in restaurants, so I missed every Goner Fest <laughs> until I played it because it was a weekend where a lot of people were asking off, and uh, also I always needed the money, so I had to work. So unfortunately, I didn't make it to any Goner Fest until I started playing. But we got asked to play in 2009 in our like very original uh, lineup of Knots, which uh, the bassist who used to play with us moved to New Orleans, so she's playing with a couple bands down there. But uh, that was before we had a single with Goner and before we had, we just had a cassette tape that we put out. We had a drummer who moved back to um, Alabama. Our drummer from Bake Sale moved back to Alabama and then we uh, reformed as a three piece. So that would have been the formation that played the first Goner or 2009 hour first Goner Fest which was uh, Carly, me, and Charlotte, the drummer. Me and Charlotte, the drummer, have been uh, the same <laughs> members of through all the formations of Knots, or the consistent members. Opening last year for me in the gazebo was a lot of fun because that's, it's just kind of, you're going in cold, you know? It's like being the opening guy to, at a stand-up comedy routine. It's like, so that was really fun, and it's like, it's not in a, in a dark club, it's in the daylight. We've played in the gazebo other times, but yeah, that was, that was a good one. Playing at home is always really special to us. We played at Murphy's like last week and we were all just like, man, we love playing in Memphis. It's always, it's really fun and rowdy and there are always like a lot of rad ladies at the show, which is unfortunately something that uh, I take for granted. Because yeah. <laughs> when we get on tour sometimes, I'm like, where are all the ladies? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Where are all the wild ones? <laughs> but yeah, so Gonerfest last year was definitely, uh, I don't know, I think it just, we all kind of went in the zone at like, just the energy is so good at Gonerfest because everybody spends so much time together and it is like actually like a bunch of friendly punks for the most part. I mean, there's definitely outliers, but for the most part, it's like got such a good vibe on its own that it's not hard to get on stage and get straight to the zone because it's so, it's already got such a good thing going.
what do you want to tell us about this year's fest? I don't know. I, there's there's a lot of things I'm excited about. This band Power that's coming over from Australia. It's like everybody was talking about them when I was in Australia a couple of weeks ago. People are real excited about them. I saw Chuk Race, and I like both of those records. It's real jangly and flying nunny, and our, our buddies Bill and Lisa that run a label called Trouble in Mind in Chicago put that record out over here. And I'm excited to see Fred and Tootie and see how the two piece is going to work. I think it's going to be awesome. Everything they've, they've ever done is, is great. It's fun to have legends here. The Raining Sound original lineup is going to be amazing. And then, you know, there's some other Memphis bands that we're, we're doing this. Uh, Seth Sutton and his girlfriend Lise from Geneva did. So, like, they played a show glitch. here. It yeah, was awesome. no, yeah, so you saw that. Them. That was their first show. I don't know whether they did any other shows, but, like, yeah, with, since then I was, I, I was, I've been on them about that. And so we're doing a single with them. I was coming out. I'm excited. It's, uh, it's coming up. I, I think it may be ready for Goner Fest, but they're going to be great, um, and it's going to be fun to have see people see them. the gazebo this year at Goner Fest, oh, which, is, <laughs> which is always so good because it's like plopping like, you know, whatever, like last year it was X-Cult, like a mm-hmm. punk band just in the middle of like Cooper Young district <laughs> and then all these punks like getting their uh, like wristbands and everybody's uh-huh. really excited, yeah. getting drunk. It's like, it's always really cool, but I am super curious. That's where all the like rock babies come out too with their like big headphones. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You got, you got any cute. tricks up your sleeve for the gazebo? Uh, you know, yeah. You've been studying. I'm going to have to go scope the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. <laughs> think up some theatrics. Right. <laughs> so I'm excited. Yeah, the gazebo's always fun. <laughs> and also, like, all the delivery drivers from Mulan. Just yeah. <laughs> always, like, every time I see that, I, it cracks me up. <laughs> shop i mean in the 12 or 13 years that we've seen there's been a change in our customer base and it is not as much international or national it's still an important part of it but we have more people coming in to the store in memphis buying records and they're not just buying you know grateful dead and you know young and led zeppelin records not that there's anything wrong with that but yeah you know it's not it's not like they're just coming in and buying used rock lps it's it's Kids coming in interested in this, you know, new thing that they just heard from Australia, or that are into got into Thai and are interested in more stuff, or, or just know about Goner because their older brother used to buy Barbara's records or went and saw Magic Kids sometime or had heard about the Lost Sounds. So it's really nice to see a growth in names of our artists and I mean, see Ty Siegel go from a guy that you know John Dwyer and the OCs were just trying to get on the fest. It, at one point and you know we didn't have room for them so we just tagged along in their van and came and hung out 
but that was when we met him and listened to the songs that were going to wind up being Lemons, and we wound up doing those records, and then to watch him on late night TV shows, and it was the beginning of a great relationship, and what we've done is like what we've done with the rest of the stuff. We are conservative in our approach. We take each project and try and do the best we can with it. We look at those things as partnerships, and this is kind of a partnership with both the people of Memphis and the bands that we bring in. We're not going to stretch ourselves too thin. We're not going to put too much of a marketing budget out there. We're going to try and let the work that we do and word of mouth and, you know, the natural people go back and, and talk about it and have a good time. A lot more bands have formed and started playing shows in the last few years, and a lot more people are starting to come out to shows. The attendance is on the upswing, and I think there's more people interested in starting weird projects over the past few years than there has been. Both a blessing and a curse about doing something in Memphis is we are in a bubble a little bit here. You know, there is no, we're not going to have big people coming down and taking a look at what we're doing. Um, and on the plus side of that, it really gives us um, the ability to do whatever we want and, you know, have to worry about the, the grind of the industry or um, looking over your shoulder or trying to keep up with the Joneses, you can kind of stay true to your vision and be authentic and do things your way. I mean, I, 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 I love everything that came out of Memphis and I love the fact that we are here and because I think that one great thing about Memphis is we haven't built back over all of our past and I think that you can still feel it and see it walking down streets in, in Midtown and downtown. This is the cradle of, of modern American, you know, Western music, yeah. I mean, I say it's the cradle, but it's just, it's the biggest concentration point being a city for what was going on around here. And it goes all the way up and down the Mississippi River. I mean, you can go, yeah, obviously, New Orleans, you go to St. Louis, go to Detroit. I mean, this is a thing that's, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, like, fucking goofy cliche, but there's definitely something to it. And I won't even try to say what I think it is here, because for everybody, it's a different thing. The Memphis question, it's like some people really can't understand how this city isn't necessarily driven by industry and everyone who plays in a band works full time and, and you know, multiple jobs or yeah. whatever. And then not only that, but the labels don't exactly like make millions. Right. <laughs> They're just, it's like a, really a city of like passion projects yeah. and stuff that uh, people just want to do for whatever reason. And that's why some of the like weirdest, coolest music I think gets, gets made here. Sam Phillips or, um, uh, or, or the, the Stax crew, uh, uh, or, or maybe Arden, but Jim Dickinson for sure. And, you know, I mean, like, you know, the, the, that, the, you know, or, or Chris Bell and Alex Chilton. I mean, the, those guys were all, uh, there, there were so many people that did amazing stuff here and they did it on their terms and they did it the way they wanted to. And, um, and that's why you have so many characters and, uh, uh, and everything through here and then you know most of them you know wind up screwing it up somehow and you know and then that's also you know we've got this whole underdog mentality that is just totally memphis and that's what we do we do these insane amazing things and then you know we fuck it up but uh you know I, well, you know I, I love that about us i mean i think that that's mm -hmm. that's that's one of my favorite things about memphis i I, uh, I, I think we're screwing things up all the time. <laughs> Show me the way.
Check out the playlist accompanying this episode featuring bands from Gonerfest at Press Play on SonospherePodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes and follow on Facebook and Twitter. This has been an independent production of Sonosphere, produced by Amy S. and Chris Williams, and engineered by Benfis. With a special thanks to Zach Ives, Natalie Hoffman, Chris Shaw, J.B. Harrell, and Madison Farmer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.